Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Let Me Fill You In. This is the 10th installment of this midweek show that is a spinoff, if you will, of Phil at the Movies. And I want to say thank you and, and once more appreciate you for tuning in and hearing what I have to say about movies. Now, at the start, I will uh, just uh, just say that I have no new movies to recommend for you this week. Not that there are any films out there, uh, because certainly there are some winners by all accounts, but I have not had a chance to catch any of the new films in the past week. Uh, life has been a little chaotic on, on my end, but hopefully uh, this weekend, at least the uh, the plan at the moment is to, to catch at least one uh, uh, of the new films, because there are there are many that are, that are out right now, and certainly uh, some that are piquing my interest, including Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is swinging to new heights at the box office. And I'll just start right at the top with uh, with the box office returns from last weekend. Across the Spider-Verse, which is the second installment in the Spider-Verse uh, series of movies. There was one from 2018. There's one more on the way in 2024. Well, the sequel that came out last weekend has grossed $120 million domestically. On top of that, it brought in over $206 million worldwide last weekend. It has already tripled its its box office receipts from its opening weekend four years ago. So it just kind of gives you an idea of how how well this movie has been received and how much interest there is in uh, in seeing it. And interestingly enough, this is the second biggest opening for any movie this year behind, interestingly enough, the Super Mario Brothers movie, which another animated uh, movie. So it definitely showcases the uh, the strength of the uh, of the genre. But the movie, by all accounts, is a is a box office smash. Critics love it and audiences love it. And, and I think it goes to show the the importance and frankly the the success of the spider-man character and and for all the people talking about superhero fatigue i i think i point right here is uh is evidence that the genre is uh not on the way out what audiences i think want and crave are original and, and fresh and exciting stories not a uh, a rehash of something that we've seen a hundred times before and i think the fact that this is an animated movie also helps uh, kind of differentiate it from the other superhero movies uh, of the last few months and frankly of, of the day i think animation kind of allows a different uh, style of filmmaking and certainly a way to tell stories that you maybe couldn't tell in a live action format uh, for the record i enjoyed the first one immensely i thought it was a it was a Amazing! It was powerful, and again, the fact that it's an animated film doesn't diminish its quality. It's on par with with a live action film, and I have no doubts that I will be equally as amazed and dazzled by the sequel when I get a chance to see it. Hopefully this weekend. But uh, I, I did want to say because I think it, it bears repeating. You will often hear not so much now because I think there is a general appreciation for the genre and, and acceptance of its place in, in movie history. But sometimes you will hear from, from stuffed shirt types, shall we say, oh, animation, that, that, those, aren't, those aren't real movies. Those are, those are for kids. And, and I would just say pointing not only to this film's response and reaction, but its, its predecessor and the dozens and dozens of other animated films over the years these are 
real movies and they're just as real and just as important as a live action film and i'll just say animation is cinema and cinema is animation and i think that certainly speaks for itself but uh wanted to update you guys i fill you in if you will with some other news that caught my uh caught my eye over the last few days uh beetlejuice 2 starring michael keaton and jenna ortega along with uh wayona Ryder and Catherine o'hara that is uh underway filming is underway and michael keaton uh spoke about it over the the weekend uh, in an interview and, and just said it's an absolute ball he's delighted to be back tim burton of course the uh, the mastermind behind the original he's involved in this film as well so it's it really feels uh like like this is like i mean hey it is happening but also it's been a long time coming because there's been all this talk and stories of a, of a beetlejuice sequel over the years but nothing has ever materialized but uh no the second film it, it is happening production has started and michael keaton says it is an absolute ball uh, that, that they're having right now. And I picked up on one thing that really uh, caught my eye because certainly Beetlejuice is this imaginative and, and frankly, otherworldly experience. But but when it was made, you know, we didn't there wasn't the digital technology of today. So everything was reliant on on special or on practical effects. And now almost 40 years uh, after the after the fact you have to wonder okay well are we going to see um, you know m- more digital technology take place and and I picked up on something that uh, that Michael Keaton said and I'll leave the article in the show notes because it's uh, certainly worth a read if you're interested but by all accounts the film and the filmmakers are relying on practical effects for this movie. I, I'm sure there will be some digital uh, enhancements here or there, but by and large, they are going old school with this movie. And I think that is an absolute win. Uh, just because you have the technology to uh, to create something uh, in a computer, so to speak, or with a green screen, doesn't mean you should be relying on it 100% of the time. Uh, nothing beats miniatures. Nothing beats good old practical effects. So uh, I, I was delighted to, uh, to read that. And I think just illustrates that this is not just another cash grab movie a, a legacy sequel if you will cashing in on the original that does seem like there's a real in, intent and, and heart to tell uh, a fascinating and, and well-made story and the fact that they're going above and beyond with the practical effects that's a win-win in my book uh, speaking of sequels for those of you who uh, are, are fans of the uh, the Sanderson sisters Hocus Pocus 3 is on the way uh, there hasn't been an official announcement but it's been uh, picked up from various uh, uh, news outlets and uh, and uh, you know you know insider magazines. So uh, I'll leave a few uh, show notes for that as well. But uh, it's no surprise given the uh, the response and the reaction to the uh, the second one that came out last uh, last fall on Disney Plus. So uh, you know why not why not have another one? Uh, you know certainly the the original Hocus Pocus is is a classic in its own right and. Uh, Certainly part of uh, my annual uh, Halloween uh, viewing experience. I, I do wonder if they if they will release this film theatrically instead of exclusively on Disney Plus like the last time. And the reason I say that is I think if the second one had been released theatrically, I think it would have been a huge success because the the original film and sort of the 
the, the, the world, if you will, of the, of the Sanderson sisters is as much associated with Halloween as, as ghosts and goblins at this point. And, and I think uh, Disney would be, uh, would be uh, making a huge mistake to not try to capitalize on getting this out to the widest possible market possible. I know there's always the push, oh, have it on streaming. It's great to get the subscribers that way. But uh, you heard me say it before, nothing tops the theatrical experience, uh, even though we can have things at our fingertips and it's great at times to watch something from the comfort of your own home. Nothing nothing beats the theatrical experience and being able to see the movie, any movie, on the largest possible screen imaginable. And, and on that note, another transition. The transition to just sort of working out flawlessly uh, today. Speaking of seeing a movie on the largest screen imaginable, next month, Christopher Nolan's potentially magnus opus Oppenheimer will be released. And by all accounts, this is a movie that should be seen in IMAX, and you can imagine, I will be uh, I will be there opening weekend. Uh, there's sort of this interesting back and forth on uh, on uh, on Twitter, if you will, film Twitter, where um, at the same the same day, same time, the uh, the Barbie movie starring Margot Robbie and uh, Ryan Gosling that's releasing simultaneously. So there's sort of this this competition of the uh, 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 of the cinematic experiences, if you will. But uh, I'll definitely see both films. But I am I am really excited to see Oppenheimer. And the more that I hear about what went into this film and the making of it, it, it just sounds incredible. To say nothing of of Killian Murphy's uh, what looks like to be a, a an award worthy performance as as Robert Oppenheimer. And uh, I picked up on something interesting over the weekend and again i'll leave this all in the show notes for you but christopher nolan wrote the script in first person which he he believes and you know if there is someone else you know out there uh that's done it you know great but he thinks it's the first time that a script has been written in the first person normally these films are always told uh you know or, or written through uh you know through a third person but this time no he he wrote it in the third in first person and the design was to have it be a story told through the eyes of, of Oppenheimer and by all accounts the film mixes black and white with with colored sequences which certainly makes for an interesting uh, visual uh, means of storytelling but also I think is is meant to 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 illustrate and and have for us the audience experience this story through through Robert Oppenheimer, through, see it through his his eyes, and I mean, this just sounds like a fantastic engagement and, and such a use of, of filmmaking that becomes much more than just a kind of a, a, a visual experience. You know, we go and watch a movie, but actually a, an immersive one. So I'm I'm all the more pumped for this movie. It remains one of my most anticipated films uh, of the year. I mean, Christopher Nolan is without question one of my favorite favorite filmmakers. And by all accounts, th- this movie this movie looks to be something sp- spectacular, just from the details to the cast and and just knowing that Christopher Nolan is the man behind the uh behind the uh behind the camera uh speaks volumes so I will uh I, I will be seeing this film and and look forward to doing a full review and and discussion on it later next month so definitely stay tuned for uh for that front but uh you know it goes without saying Christopher Nolan has is, is the director of my all-time favorite film The Dark Knight so I mean anything that he anything that he does I I'm going to be uh going to be right there and and see 
And uh, another bit of interesting uh, news for uh, for you, uh, you DC fans, for you, uh, you Batman fans out there. The director for The Flash, Andy Muschietti, who also directed one of my favorite horror films of all time, It, uh, is rumored. Now, this is unconfirmed, but he is rumored to be directing the forthcoming Batman film, The Brave and the Bold. And it makes sense, just based on what I have seen through the trailers and sort of the reactions from folks who have seen The Flash, it seems like Muschietti is the perfect person to uh, to helm the next iteration for uh, the Batman character. And this is going to be an interesting time for, for general audiences, and especially Batman fans because we are going to be treated to two distinct versions of the Cape Crusader over the next couple years. Of course, there is a Matt Reeves forthcoming The Batman Part 2, which is you know, again more of a grounded sprawling crime epic movie and Andy Muschietti's will be much more I think comic book orientated and, and more kind of leaning into the fantastical side of the characters but uh certainly going to be uh on my uh on my radar and something i'll be looking forward to so uh, if you're a batman fan the next couple of years are uh are, are, are going to be a great times no uh no complaints on on my end uh, more batman the better as far as i can say uh on that on that note uh, of a, a beloved childhood uh character Wanted to to share some interesting news that I saw over the weekend. Mark Hamill has said he is done playing Luke Skywalker, and I'll leave the uh, the link in the show notes. But uh, uh, he said, "quote I had my time, and that's good, but that's enough." And you know, I think that is that is appropriate. We have we have had Luke Skywalker uh, with us since 1977. Mark Hamill is Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is is Mark Hamill. And certainly, I think, you know, if, if you talk to Star Wars fans, they would love to see him return and play the character again and again and, and explore other stories. But I think there's something to be said about letting a character rest. And, and certainly, you have to know when to, to close a book, so to speak. And that kind of is fitting with the you know, the forthcoming Indiana Jones movie later this summer. I think after a while, especially when you have had one character or one actor playing a character, it's important to uh, to, to sort of let that character have uh, have an end, so to speak, and it can't go on indefinitely. I mean, there's sort of that. I almost say there's a distinction to say between say like your Batman or your Spider-Man or, or even James Bond. It, those roles certainly there are there are favorites of many. I have my favorites, but. They have been played by different actors over the years, and each actor has brought something new to these to these characters. And again, these characters have been going on in some cases for over eighty years. In the case of Batman, but but Luke Skywalker has always been played by Mark Hamill, and and he is so associated with that role that I, I don't think you could ever bring in another actor and say, well, we're going to tell the story of Luke Skywalker, you know, what he was doing after Return of the Jedi. I, I just don't think it would work. And, and sometimes I, I'm a big believer in less is is more, particularly when it comes to the Star Wars mythology. I, I, I don't think it has to go on in indefinitely. So, uh, you know, certainly, you know, sad to to, to read that and, and, and hear him say that, you know, he thinks it, it, it's time to, to pass the lightsaber, so to speak. But at the end of it, I, I, 
I can respect that, and I think from a from a, a story standpoint, from a narrative standpoint, from a from sort of an overexposure standpoint, it makes sense to uh, to sort of let Luke ride off into the uh, the twin sunsets, if you will. But uh, that is all the uh, the news that sort of caught my eye over the last week, and uh, what I wanted to share with you uh, to close. I will do the uh, the cinematic quote of the week, and uh, fittingly, it comes from Christopher Nolan. And uh, here it is: I think there are advantages to different scales of filmmaking. You wouldn't want to do just one thing. And how appropriate and, and how relevant, given the fact that, that Christopher Nolan has done such a diverse palette of, of, of movies and, and, and sort of tapped into all different kinds of genres. Of course, you know, he's celebrated for his, his work with the Batman mythology, but in addition, you've got films like Dunkirk and Inception, Interstellar, uh, Memento, Insomnia, soon to be Oppenheimer. I think that is important, especially for anyone who is a storyteller or a filmmaker. Don't just don't just stick in your lane. I think that's important to try to to try and and and, and test the test the water, so to speak. Andy Muschietti, uh, the director I mentioned uh, for The Flash, and most likely uh, directing a future Batman movie. Th- there's a perfect case. There's someone who started out in in the horror genre, but now has has ventured over into the to the action to the superhero genre. So I think you, you don't want to always stay in your lane. If you have stories to tell, just tell them. Don't don't wait for permission. I mean, going back to Christopher Nolan. I mean, this is a guy that has made some of the greatest Batman movies, has made some of the greatest science fiction movies, and now is going to be telling this this sprawling bio biographical epic, if you will. So. Don't don't just stay in your lane. If you have stories to tell, let them be told and uh, let the rest speak for itself. But that is all uh, that I have for you today. I want to thank you as always for tuning in. Of course, you can always catch uh, my uh, my latest episode of Fill with the Movies. A new episode will be dropping this Friday, where I'll be concluding my uh, my mini series on movie sequels, ending uh, appropriately with the uh, with the horror genre, which is certainly noted and and celebrated. Uh, perhaps infamously for uh, its uh, foray into endless sequels, but uh, I will have some thoughts and uh, movies to uh, to talk about on Friday's episode. But uh, with that, uh, thank you as always, and you can catch me next week.